0: Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please
1: note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes.
0: Announcing your plans. It's a good way to hear God laugh. <laughs>
1: Pay no attention to man. Anybody can have a brain. You're a very bad man. I'm a very good man. Just a very bad wizard. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, I'm afraid I already know the answer to this question. If God commanded you to sacrifice me, <laughs> on a mountain would you do it
0: uh, you know i'm a man of faith so so i could probably just get an email from someone with god in like right. the gmail title that's said to kill you and i'd be like dude sorry yeah man.
1: so <laughs> it's like pascal's it's you or, wager you know
0: <laughs> it's you or me it's like and god gave details he was like make them suffer he was like uh, like make them
1: <laughs> i mean here's the thing is that I think a better question is, are you going to do that even if God doesn't command <laughs> you just for the hell of it?
0: Or like fake a message from God. Yeah, or just, <laughs> yeah. It's really weird, though. Uh, very often I'll, I'll burn a piece of toast. And on that piece of toast, I will see, clear as day, kill Tamler. <laughs> you know,
1: those toasters need to be recalled. Like, Isn't that they, funny
0: that that's like God's number one way of communicating to the masses? <laughs> through toast? And like refrigerator mold.
1: What about Thomas's English muffins? You know, with the nooks and crannies. <laughs> like I don't know. There's a lot of ways that's, of that's, interpreting the nooks and crannies.
0: For, those are for Braille readers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if I got asked to find a lot... no way. Oh, wait, uh, I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. Uh, yeah. I, a couple
1: of quick things before we get to our main topic of the day, which is evolutionary psychology. So I asked you that opening question because I'm now I'm doing this thing which I love to do. Uh, this great books class, and our first book this year is Genesis, and we're reading Genesis, and, Gen- and reading Genesis with a bunch of students, you know, from varying backgrounds, but most of whom, you know, this is a fairly like important and fraught topic, but just reading it through the lens of like f- just taking fresh eyes to it and a more critical perspective is all is fascinating and emotionally. You is, know, is
0: this part of a, a more general theme for, the, for this, this year's course? We
1: always have a theme. Think? Like this year, it's judgment and interpretation. Sometimes it's, it can be honor. Sometimes it can be re, you know, justice. Sometimes, But
0: was, you know, the I, themes I, are broad I, enough where it's like, you know. I just want to see the list of your previous classes. Like revenge, vengeance. Anger, <laughs> retribution, <laughs> justice. Every every. Semester. Just,
1: like wow. I, I, I go on word. Like shift F seven <laughs> for, for revenge, and that's always the one that I suggest. So we're gonna read the Iliad after this, and then we're gonna read Thucydides, and we're gonna read the humanities, um, which is part of that whole awesome Greek. Tr- tragedy trilogy so we're reading genesis and you know having gone to hebrew school but not really paid much attention like i'm always struck that the nature of these stories and the things they bring up i mean there's like 18 great just story ideas that just pop out, <laughs> right. and we've just uh, all we've done is the first twenty-five books. Like it's like, it probably like a total of like twenty pages, and already there's just like inqu- yeah. yeah. Two things I want to ask you about because you had a more sort of traditional religious upbringing than I did, right? Yeah, yeah. Number one, uh, and this has just come out of discussions with my class. At, they're in the Garden of Eden, and there are these two trees. And the one tree they're not supposed to eat, to eat the apple, the fruit of, is the tree that will give them the knowledge of good and evil. Right. Here's my question. What is it like, you know, I'll take a Thomas Nagel approach. What is it like to be somebody who lacks knowledge of good and evil? So like the before and after, like Eve and then Adam taking the, the bite out of the apple, what was it like before – or another way like you could do it as a thought experiment. What if they just had had not eaten the apple? What what would we be like?
0: Right. And and it's weird because it's because God God says if you eat of these you will be like gods. Right. Right.
1: And that's so, why he doesn't want them to eat. It's it's a, it's it's one of a series of things where people are getting a little too ambitious and they need to be right. knocked down. It's probably the Right.
0: Yeah. And but so so, I think that the weird thing is that what it can't mean, I, I don't think, is that you will start doing evil, whereas before you weren't. Right. Because presumably, God does not do evil. As an aside, you know, it doesn't ever say apple. But no. I think everybody is, assumes it because she plucks it and puts it in her mouth. And so it can't be like a banana. Like a, but it could be like, it like a fig, said, right? It. it could be like a fig or like a pea. A biblical yeah. scholar, David Pizarro. <laughs> I think one way people have interpreted it is that, that when you have the knowledge of evil, it's just that you don't, your behavior doesn't change. Is that you have this now burden of responsibility in knowing the difference between good and bad. Whereas you, you were kind of like a kid before. Like what you did, you did. You didn't know whether it was good or bad. And now all of a sudden you but have... But w- were conscience. you only doing good, essentially? I don't think, I don't think that it means that. Right, I think that whatever, got guided by whatever impulses, uh, you you just did not have any shame or guilt for whatever right. it was that you did. I mean, quick quiz:
1: you know the first thing they do after they eat the fruit?
0: After they both eat the fruit, yeah. They, They put clothes on.
1: Yeah, they cover themselves because they feel ashamed. So shame is so intimately connected with knowledge of good and evil, right there,
0: Uh, or right there. Yeah, and and you know there have been writers who say that this is this is somehow a sexual metaphor. Uh, There's going to be a writer that says that everything is sexual. (laughs) Um, But you know, some say like that this was sort of some sort of existential realization, Um, the knowledge that they were going to die. But they weren't going to
1: die if they hadn't done it. Or at least they didn't. So, grow, what is it like, right? just pre Garden of Eden? So, like a couple of metaphors. One of them was child, like a small child, and and part of that is that like a small child will run around naked and not have any sense that there's anything weird about right. that. And uh, and then another metaphor that was tossed around was dogs,
0: what, like an animal, right? Where yeah. you don't know. See, the animals don't know that they're gonna die. Um, and maybe they, you know, maybe the idea here is they would have died. They just never would have had the the tremendous anxiety of knowing that they were inevitably going to die. Um,
1: so, but right? uh, but that's more your obsession, the death thing, because it's in the knowledge of good and evil. It's not that there's a separate tree for immortality. Yeah. There, yeah. This is— uh, Well,
0: and that's why, that's why he—so God kicks them out so that they— ki- the primary reason for kicking them out, I think, is right. so that they don't go back and eat from the. Because then they'll be the God. eternal life. Then they will be God. They'll yeah. know good and evil, and, and some, but but you're right that there's no reason to call it the, tr- the knowledge of good and evil. You just call it self-aware, the tree of self-awareness, or something like that. <laughs> right. You know,
1: and there's something very important about the fact that the thing that got humanity kicked out of the Garden of Eden was was knowing the difference between good and evil. And I just—it's like—it's like what is it like to be a bat? What is it like to be a person who doesn't have that knowledge? Is
0: a psychopath? They're like little, psychopaths. right? Maybe a
1: little psychopath. <laughs> and then it's kind of like, well, I
0: guess I'm glad that they. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like no no knowledge of themselves as moral agents. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and not, you know, none of the guilt that comes along with that, but also none of the responsibility. You know, here's something like. Now, now that you actually know good and evil, you start judging others, right. and uh, maybe, maybe God was like, "Oh man, now they're gonna start questioning what, about like you know why that should happen." <laughs> now they're gonna start
1: saying like, yeah. "Imagine there's five guys on a trolley." And yeah.
0: That's that's where it all started.
1: Babel is the big thing where people start getting distinguished from each other. Right,
0: yeah. which was, like, a, and, and the reason, presumably, was because, like, human beings were, like, ah, they were getting too good at this shit. Yeah. Like, I need to confuse them for a bit. Yeah, it was always so funny to me. Like, all of a sudden, one guy's like, uh, qu'est-ce que c'est? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he found the other guy who, that was my, my lay understanding <laughs> of what
1: <laughs> I yeah. is that ce que c'est? Is that your intimate knowledge of friends? We uh, oui, oui. oui. And they oh. immediately have their snobbiness too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what have we been eating?
0: <laughs> C'est <is> dégoûtant. <laughs> uh,
1: then there's just so many fucked up things. Like what happens with Lot? Him offering <laughs> up his daughters t- to be raped by the mobs to protect the uh. strangers, and then the daughters having sex. You know, so story that's most famous is the Isaac. You know, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, probably, right? right. Like, what's Like, what's interesting about the way it's portrayed is you get no information about what Abraham's thinking. You know, like, there's no conversation that he has with anybody else right. about this. It's nothing. And one of my students said, I thought this is a great idea for a play. Abraham and Isaac walking down from the mountain. That conversation—
0: like, I think there's a family guy where they do that. Like, what the
1: fuck? Like, so, <laughs> what's bothering you, son? You look a little depressed. Are you having problems with girls? No, it's not that. I'm uh, struggling in school. No, I'm doing pretty well in school. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's not that I was, like, standing over you with a knife and about to kill you. <laughs> oh, there <laughs> it
0: is. That's <laughs> Right. I mean, it's not, like, on the face of it, you might think, like, well, this was a test to see if he would really kill him, and he passed it by not killing him. No, he passed it by fully intending to kill him. Right. Like, he passed the test by actually essentially doing it, yeah. but failing. Because the angel stopped him,
1: right? Class. Like, the, right. as one of the students pointed out, like they have to call him twice. It's not like he's sitting there <laughs> saying, "Okay, God, I know you're going to stop me from doing this. Where are uh, you? Like,
0: where's Ashton Kutcher <laughs> or whatever?" This, this really, uh, I love reading Kierkegaard about this. Right. Like, I don't know if <laughs> that ever, might be the single
1: this. most pretentious thing that you have said <laughs> that, on the yeah, entire I, podcast. I,
0: I don't know. I thought that I thought that philosophers, you know, this is what this is what you think is philosophy when you're in high school. I mean, the way like you said it is I mean, so Kierkegaard takes the story and he's exactly saying what, what you're saying, which is like, wait, this is what faith requires. Faith requires you to like do what goes against every fiber of a moral being. Right? And so he doesn't conclude that God is fucked up. He concludes that like there is this absurdity to faith, that you have to take this leap of faith like Abraham did. And uh, essentially, not even ask the the logic of what's being, but like so blind that, that blind leap of faith.
1: Okay, here's the problem with with that interpretation because certainly that came up as well. Abraham, there, there's like a streak of things that he does that are pretty they're pretty cowardly. Right, yeah. like offering up Sarah not once but twice to the king or Pharaoh or wherever he happens to be to be the sex slave, that's his wife,
0: right. like, don't worry, it's my sister,, yeah,
1: don't worry, it's my sister here you can have her, and it's it's reprehensible the first time, but the but but after it happens the first time, the pharaoh is like, gee, what the hell? Like, what are you doing? Like, why didn't you tell me? Uh, I, don't, I don't want her. take her back. And then he does it again. And it's like, so there is this sort of, there is this sort of streak of I'm scared in Abraham. And mm-hmm. somebody is telling me to do something and I might die if I don't. I'm going to do it. About the father, both, the father of all Abraham. three
0: great monotheistic religions.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's one unqualified good thing that he does, which is sort of talks God out. He he bargains him down to right. uh, like how many people have to be good in Sodom for him not to just wipe out the whole place, <laughs> right. Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, I, I read that, and I was thinking, is this where we get our reputation for bargaining and, like, <laughs> this,
0: yeah. Was God was like, these are friend prices.
1: Yeah. He, no, because the way Abraham does it, he's, like, 50. And then was like, but, I mean, come on. Like, what if it was 45? Like, are you really going to destroy the whole thing because there's just not five people? And he gets them all the way down to 10, you know, and it's a great master class in, like, salesmanship, But it's like if that's what people are attributing us for being like like you, like greedy Jews who only care about money, there's no money. He's not doing this for money. He's trying to save some lives here. He's trying to save an entire city, and he's able to, like, convince God to, like, lower his threshold. That's pretty impressive. you
0: know, but there is this – one of the things when when you read Genesis – Especially, but just you know, a lot of the the Old Testament, you get this this view of God. Like I always wondered why it was so, why I was so encouraged to read the Bible. And you're like, wow, this God guy is really making some capricious fucking decisions about the lives of large portions of people. And this, there is this this streak that I always thought. Once I learned about it, it seemed cool that the god of the Old Testament um, uh, is is a demigod, and, like, he's just here to fuck with humans. He's, like, the tribal god, right? Then there's the Elohim, the, like, he's the like creator. He's, like, Zeus. Yeah, yeah, he's, like, he's the one who's involved in the material world. He's partial to certain people. All, all I can think is, man, who who this god character, like, the character development for whoever wrote these books, like, well,
1: Moses transcribed them and and God actually wrote them.
0: <laughs> Good luck getting to like what's God's what are God's motives here. I right? know. Like they just they it's, it's not I, as Christians I remember we would always make fun of the Roman pan, the the Greek and Roman pantheon as being like all of these human like people who are right. who are just playing with with the lives of mortals. And it's like, well, I guess you trade a pantheon for like a godhead. It doesn't even sound like god's having fun
1: (laughs) no you don't get a sense of if you were assigned to play god and you were asked what's your motivation it's a and this is true of a lot of the characters it's very hard to know it's very hard to know what people's motivations are like you get only brief and intermittent glimpses into their inner lives and I know this stuff is debated widely, but but this is what's cool about, like, yeah. there's a reason why this has stuck with people.
0: Right. You know, one day we should do, we should read the book of Job and do a... a, like, oh, a that would
1: I'm be Job. a good, that would be a good topic for an episode. Like, Job,
0: Job, we could do it in the voice of Job from Arrested Development. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, are we going to abandon God and talk about... Darwinianism.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's do that. But um, I like that idea of doing a thing on the Book of Job. I've, I've never read the Book of Job. I just oh, know all about it. The que- wait until
0: the Leviathan shows up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's not till Hobbes. <laughs> <laughs> to very bad wizards we're about to get into a sort of prelude discussion about evolutionary psychology before we have once we figure out what it is we'll have a a real (laughs) guest but now we're just going to be discussing it and why it has the reputation it has um but first a couple pieces of business number one we have josh green coming on i think the next episode if we can finalize a date Um, Thank you for your feedback... On our last episode, the Thought Experiments, one of the things we talked about in the context of the Ice Bucket Challenge was we were sensitive to the fact that people might feel annoyed that they're being coerced into donating to a specific charity in virtue of donating to us.
0: Or maybe "coerce" is the wrong word, but people who want to donate to us might feel as if we are adding a rider to the contract. And yeah. Like making, yeah.
1: And, you know, we, we chose something that we were both behind. and So, so we got a little feedback about this. Not too much, but yeah. a little bit. But it was unanimous to just sever the connection between support to us and support to Kip. But one of them was from a Chicago public school teacher.
0: It, yeah Jeffrey Helmers who wrote a very yeah, nice email
1: really nice respectful like self aware email, but explained that there are some people who reasonably object to what Kip is doing, its effect on other public schools within that city in any case i you know I don't want to get into that I don't know enough about that we are sit now severing the connection i still and then we got another what? we got something else in the spirit of i'd rather you guys spent the money on equipment and maybe somebody to help you edit and maybe and then just booze right just drinking
0: right I think they could tell that um, sometimes you get the shakes in the middle of an episode. Yeah. And uh, if you don't have booze readily available, uh, it really right. goes downhill. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> like, <Support. laughs> like last night when we tried to record this section on evolutionary psychology. <laughs> Support my drinking problem. <laughs> uh, right.
1: Yeah, no, so uh, so we really appreciate it, and we do work hard on this episode, as David uh, on, on these episodes, as David alluded to. We, try, we, we did a first try recording of this yesterday, and uh, it just was a bit rambling i don't think it was all my fault and actually no uh, no it
0: was we were both we both had very long days so you can support us by
1: going to our itunes page and giving us a rating well that doesn't give us any money but it gives us something
0: but it gives us positive ego strokes Uh, and as i emailed somebody when you have uh people like us with such fragile self-esteem um, any show of support, <laughs> as symbolic as it might be, really just makes our day. It just... if, if we were secure, we wouldn't be so – we wouldn't check our iTunes reviews every day. That's right. It's, it's some
1: combination of insecurity and narcissism.
0: Right. Well, and self-hatred. So, and you know, self-hatred. Like a, because a, a, you're right. That's
1: the Jewish element of it. Although my wife would laugh at the idea that I have self-hatred. But <laughs> the uh, the other, uh, you can like us on Facebook. I think our Facebook page, we really appreciate comments and posts on there. And then support us financially at the Amazon page. Uh, on the support page of verybadwizards.com, and also directly
0: via PayPal. And we really thank all the people who have donated so far. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we enjoy so much is just between the tweets and the emails and the and the Facebook conversations, is that it does feel like there's that you guys are, are friends from afar, and we have a, a, a nice community of yeah. of of like-minded assholes.
1: And also, there have been a few people who who have been asking for a Very Bad Wizards t-shirt. Dave has made that the sort of fundamental mission of his life. <laughs> that should be coming soon. Dave Hopefully. tends to have his dreams fulfilled. TEDx Talks turning into TED Talks. Beats being <laughs> produced uh, by real rappers. And Ed Tabler not being an asshole for one episode. Wait, when did that happen?
0: No, (laughs) you haven't. That dream, that dream is
1: elusive.
0: (laughs) On that note, we should start talking about. Like somebody did mention that uh, that we've been agreeing too much lately, so maybe we can find a way. Although I suspect that we'll agree.
1: Uh, Yeah, Uh, I I don't. All right, so so let's start talking about evolutionary psychology. Here's the issue that I want to get to. So on the one hand, there's this view of evolutionary psychology, and it has some pretty negative connotations. For one, it's a little cultish with sort of Cosmides and Tooby.
0: They're the... Uh, What's his name? L. Ron Hubbard's of this cult. <laughs> it, and just to clarify, it, it, what you mean is that at least the dissenters of, of this view treat them as a cult. Right? This is what I, I'm talking
1: I, about. This is the yeah, negative. Yeah, yeah. This is... I don't endorse this. So cultish, also with sort of vague... Right-wing, or at least anti-liberal connotations. But then, on the other hand, we've been chided for not having an evolutionary psychologist on the show, and yet, virtually every single guest that we have is an evolutionary psychologist, right? I mean, Paul right. Bloom and, actually and claims would to. even
0: identify as as such or at yeah. least as as it would not reject the label. Right. So Jesse um, Baring is the most obvious
1: example, but Paul Bloom and Laurie Santos. They they consider themselves evolutionary psychologists. You you you've never referred to yourself that way, but you believe in evolution and you believe that evolution shaped the mind to a certain extent and you're a psychologist so so why aren't you an evolutionary psychologist i want you know me necessary and sufficient
0: conditions <laughs> clearly for what it means to be a, a, a true evolutionary psychologist uh yeah no i think it's a fair question and so uh, so one of the things uh, was it rob siga who said yeah. this along this is very helpful um, yeah, is, uh, that we, we thought would be – this is a recent article that uh, – by an evolutionary psychologist that is sort of a, a, a defense of evolutionary psychology but, but framed as like a, asking this very question like why are people so against evolutionary yeah. psychology? And so this is by Darren Burke and so he lists a number of, of sort of reasons for the opposition – and, uh, and, you know, maybe I'll, I'll say at least what I think at the beginning is that the term evolutionary psychology is, is this weirdly sort of sociological category maybe, um, but it doesn't – there is no – I don't think sort of a priori you could, you could figure out who gets labeled evolutionary psychologist and who doesn't aside from – uh, you know, perhaps some people embracing the term and some people not embracing the term. Here I think we get a hint about sort of the roots of the, the opposition and, and, and who exactly is the target of attacks against evolutionary psychology. So the people who are not targets of the attacks are simply people who do psychology who believe in evolution what people who say i am not an evolutionary psychologist or i don't like it what they're not saying is i am a creationist psychologist right right so there's something else and right. what that something a, else is yeah is it, is what it is generally people who use uh who appeal to to the mechanisms of natural selection to explain human social behavior right and so now that's not a good definition because uh Uh, There are plenty of people who are evolutionary psychologists who study, say, the evolution of certain characteristics uh, in the minds and behaviors of animals, right? Those people tend to not be targets of these attacks, right? So if you're studying the hormonal regulation of sleep patterns in hamsters, uh, you are heavily evolutionary in your approach. Um, And you are in a psychology department often. And so, accurately, they could be labeled evolutionary psychologists, but they're not the ones who get the sort of vitriolic attack. Right. Right. It tends to be people who are more in uh, appealing to evolutionary psychology, to evolutionary mechanisms, to explain human behavior right. in the way that sociobiologists like E.O. Wilson started trying to do, and, and got buckets but, of water poured on their head <laughs> for their for their <laughs> efforts. <laughs> right, and in fact, some of the people who are the most vocal opponents first of sociobiology and now of the, the its incarnation as evolutionary psychology are actually evolutionary biologists, like Stephen
1: right. Jay Gould. is a great Lewinton and Gould, is, oh, right. yeah,
0: Jerry Coyne. Uh, hates the evolutionary really? psychology, yeah. No, I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have thought that. It, yeah, uh,
1: um, PZ Myers also PZ Myers,
0: uh, a, right? Your former colleague, yes. Who, who you say is nice in person? It's a it's a meek Jess- and meek uh, and you know. But well, Jesse Baring's internet enemy? Um, is he? Is it? I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's they, they, right. They got uh, you know. It tr- we, we can talk about this in a second, but it tr- like there's a big debate because I think uh, Jesse, in in one of his columns, said something like. Well, you know, men are always thinking about having sex with, like, nubile women, right? right? Heterosexual men, at least. And (laughs) PZ Meyer's like, I'm not. And then just Brain's like, well, you're lying. (laughs) He might not be. Uh, um, So uh, let's
1: not talk about PZ Meyer's sexual preferences. And here's what I take to be. The difference in this first section he says it 's the primacy of mechanism is one of the first reasons that he gives uh, for people resisting evolutionary psychology, and the general idea is yes, evolutionary explanations are important at one level in sort of explaining how we became smart enough and complex enough to start having emotional dispositions and to start, and to be able to deliberate and to have a kind of a moral psychology but it's not going to be the way you try to explain how human beings make moral judgments or why they behave in the way they do. There you have to look at the, just the mechanisms, the neurophysiological right. mechanisms and maybe the just sort of broader uh, mechanisms in, in cognitive
0: psychology. Culture, learning environment, uh, social context. The claim here by the opponents is that, look, Nobody's saying that evolution isn't a cause of the human mind, right? Everybody agrees that it's a cause, but what they are arguing is that it's the wrong level of analysis. That is, that you're not—it doesn't buy you much to appeal right. to an evolutionary mechanism to explain something like human behavior and and the sort of you know uh, it would be akin to saying like you know look I, I am. I'm an astrophysicist and I the Big Bang caused right. the universe. I was so just therefore thinking of a Big Bang example. Yeah. Yeah, right? right. So therefore therefore we can appeal to the Big Bang as as a way of explaining why the seasons change. It's not wrong it's not wrong that that's a cause. It's just like is is that explanation buying you what the It's big just not the relevant explanatory right. tool. Exactly. And this is I think the uh, one of the biggest sources of fundamental difference between the people that we're calling evolutionary psychologists and people who who might study the same thing but don't call themselves evolutionary psychologists it's the how appropriate uh in a variety of ways how appropriate is an appeal to evolutionary mechanism how relevant
1: <laughs> and appropriate
0: right how relevant and appropriate yeah. and what what makes for a good explanation for say why we acquire language or why we tend to be have emotional responses. Why
1: that, men tend to be attracted to younger women and right. more than older women. And,
0: and I try to illustrate this. Usually uh, when I'm talking about evolutionary psychology in my course, uh, I used to teach a course on emotion. And one of the things I, I want to say is that look, there is a way in which there doesn't need to be a, a fundamental disagreement here. So, once you accept that there are many levels of, expl- le- levels of explanation for any given phenomena, what you can simply say is, right, you can go from the most distal explanation, right, like the evolutionary forces that shape the human mind. To the most local ones, like the current social situation, right? Like what the temperature of the room is or who who's surrounding you. Is there an authority figure in the room or not, right? And all of those might offer a plausible account of why somebody is behaving the way they are. So if you say, like, why are you uh, experiencing fear right now? It might not be wrong to say it's because fear is an adaptive mechanism that kept us safe from predators. It might not be wrong to say, well, because in your culture, it it is, uh, you know, highly valued to uh, react with some sort of fearful response to that particular stimulus. Or you could say, like, well, from a developmental perspective or from a personality perspective, you are different than other people in that you have more fear. All of those things can be said, and they're not wrong. But the most relevant answer
1: might be because my dad is standing over me with a knife try- about to sacrifice me to— But
0: you, So I'm hesitating about the word relevant. So well, how do you
1: mean relevant? Well, okay, look. So let's say we're trying to explain our fear of snakes, mm-hmm. okay? The question is, as part of a, just a general understanding of a human disposition to fear snakes, be disgusted by snakes maybe, and to fear them— Do you have to appeal to natural selection beyond just natural selection gave us the ability to have emotional responses, including fear? Do you need to actually explain what threat snakes posed to our ancestors at a time where the, the this kind of disposition might have evolved do you have to appeal to that or can you give a fairly complete explanation with no mention of e- evolution
0: I'm still not quite sure what what you mean by have to because to, to take a more trivial example like suppose that I'm I'm uh, you know holding a cup of coffee in my hand and I release it and it falls, right? So do I have to appeal to gravity or can I appeal to the intentions that I had to let go of the coffee cup? Well, you don't have to appeal to either one. And I'm not sure what the more complete explanation is. They're both explanations, and they're both true, and they don't necessarily no, conflict. No, 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 but— it's, What is your goal as a scientist? What aspect of the natural world are you interested in discovering? So it may be— so, but, here's, but there here's might be disagreement.
1: What like, what if one— there could ex- be. There could be competing explanations, one of which appeals to evolutionary theory and the other that doesn't.
0: Well, so here's what I want to say. So yeah. there is not necessarily disagreement. In my coffee cup example, it is not— like, just because you use two different levels of analysis to explain something, it doesn't mean that one is right and one is wrong. Right. Or even I'd say one is more complete than the other one. It's more, what are you trying to do here? So you can, you know, you can say, like, well, like, across... You know, if I'm looking to make generalizations about the natural world, like I might be interested in the physical laws, gravity, or I might be interested in, in the psychological processes that lead people to drop cups. And they're not necessarily a conflict. No, no, And no, that's no. just – that's what I wanted to point out because I think a lot of times people say – they have this sort of zero-sum view of explanation where you say, if you give me an evolutionary explanation for why we have emotions – then you are rejecting, say the cultural accounts of why uh, of why certain you know right. emotions are and, right. and, and that 's just not i think that 's an error it 's a common error that 's right but right but that 's not to say that they don 't sometimes conflict it 's not to say that they don 't conflict
1: and I think what Burke is getting at is there 's also a disagreement in how you approach the problem. Right. So here's what – let me just read what he says. He says, "...for many psychological researchers, the fact that a mechanism is the result of past evolutionary forces is assumed to be true, uh, but it is also assumed to be essentially irrelevant for understanding how the mechanism works, which is the main aim of most psychological research." This perspective is frequently and fairly criticized for providing an incomplete understanding of the mechanism in question since it ignores its evolved function, and that the danger of ignoring evolutionary considerations is... is insidiously damaging, he says, since it can lead to the postulation of psychological mechanisms that are a priori very unlikely to be true. In other words, just before you even analyze the problem, just deciding how much you want to take evolutionary theory into account, I think also distinguishes...
0: Yeah, and here is, I think, some of the the reaction. There is this view um, that I think many many people who, are, who identify as evolutionary psychologists have, which is that until you explain the evolutionary mechanism, it is not satisfying.
1: Until you explain what th- evolutionary function that mechanism right. had, right?
0: Yeah. And so, so give me a plausible account of how and right. why this evolved. Uh, and until you've done that, you haven't given me right. the right explanation the level of analysis as being sort of the na- the selective forces that shape behavior is is considered to be the obviously the correct level of analysis to be working at i don't i just don't think this is the case i think that you can have a perfectly reasonable say theory of uh, why people make the judgments that they make um, without being required to appeal to an evolutionary mechanism,
1: so as long as it doesn't flagrantly conflict,
0: right? You have a minimal requirement to not to not offer up a theory of psychology that is. That is blatantly in opposition to what right. we know about natural selection, right. but you you could have theories of personality differences as predictive of behavior it's an additional question why we have different natural sort of differences across the population and personality, but it's certainly not required if what you're trying to do is is uh just generate a prediction about how personality differences uh influence behavior. Burke wants to say. Well, unless you take into account the evolutionary mechanisms, you might have like a completely misguided understanding, which the soft version of that is what we just said. Well, you don't want to view the conflicts with natural selection. But I don't think that the strong version, which is until you give me a plausible right. natural selection account, that you're, you're running the risk of having a completely stupid misguided. But he, just
1: reading that passage again, it struck me, and I want to know if you agree with this that there's also smuggled into that an assumption that – that all of these mechanisms evolved have been, for. Have, been yeah. have evolved functions, and so there is yeah. You know, later in the essay, he says, "Don't confuse evolutionary psychology with modular with the theory of modularity." But is that an assumption that that he needs in order to make this objection to the critics so, of the, evolutionary psychology?
0: Yeah, I think that this is this is a, another source of of contention. One that I think that he, he's. He's not helping by saying this. So there is a view, and I've actually heard – you know, I've heard people who study evolutionary psychology actually say if things like if it exists as a mental faculty, it was selected for. Right. Right? And, and – it, and it has it a function. Missed, it might not have a it function a, it now, a,
1: but it had a, uh, an adaptive function right, when Right. It there were selective
0: pressures yeah. that favored people with those. And I, I don't see any – and again, when we get somebody, say, maybe more well-versed in this, they can say whether or not I'm being fair. But I don't see any reason why uh, you couldn't have a mental faculty that is a complete, say, side effect of some other selective uh, pressure. Or may, maybe, maybe not. But, like, you know, it's not as if you – know, this is – Sort of tried example, but it's not as if earlobes were selected for to explain earlobes. You don't need to to come up with a story about why people who had earlobes were more likely to survive. But like, how do you explain just...
1: like my really hot earlobes, like <laughs> my <laughs> earlobes that just send women into swoons?
0: This is, is is that is that what it is? Yeah, it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. had to be
1: something like that,
0: right? The... Yeah. You know, ears are fucked up things, man. If you ever actually sit and look at someone, someone's ears, none of them look right. Uh, you, like there is. What do you mean they don't? If look you ever, right? first of all, there's such wide variety in the way that ears are shaped and earlobes are shaped. You don't notice until you pay attention to it. Have you and stared at my any, earlobes? <laughs> no. Was, luckily, the resolution on Skype isn't isn't good enough to. Uh, <laughs> and they're really small. You know, I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> Jen and I have talked about how small your earlobes are and how you must be embarrassed. Is See, that, and that's why you have it, sort of the hair growing over them. It's not, <laughs> it's the,
1: it's not, the, not the size, <laughs> the size, size the, of the earlobe. It's the. Uh, uh,
0: so anyway, so there might be plenty of mental faculties. They're, they might be sort of biologically based and even uh, heritable, but that we're never selected for. Like it might, might not be even that, be heritable. Yeah. Well, so there's another category of things. There simply might be things that appear to be mental faculties. If we're categorizing all of the features of the human mind, some of them might simply be a result of learning. Like they actually had what evolved was a general. And so this is certainly what people believe, like um, some uh, that there is a general learning mechanism. And so long as you can get that kick into gear, kicking into gear, uh, most human beings would acquire, say, language to communicate, um, and, but by the very same mental mechanisms, they acquire language. They also acquire you know, like whatever other forms of, of learning, and that, uh, that you might think language is special and it's its own faculty, but in reality, it is just sort of a byproduct of something else that evolved, right. which is the ability to learn. And that's a, obviously that's a, a huge debate. That's the
1: Chomsky right. slash Pinker versus, versus I don't know.
0: Versus all the non-nativist yeah. psycholinguists out there. Yeah. Um, so, so there is no, I don't think, a priori reason to, to believe so strongly that any psychological process has to be one that was selected for. And I almost think that it would be, weir- that it'd be weird if he actually meant this. Yeah, I agree. So maybe here's a more sympathetic
1: way of describing it, and then we should move on to the next section. But mm-hmm. so someone like Joe Henrich, who I believe, I'm 90% sure, just said, Yeah, I consider myself an evolutionary psychologist. But when he's looking at norms, food norms, dietary norms, or moral norms, he's not looking at it from the perspective of what adaptive value did this disposition this particular, norm, this have, particular right. norm have for our ancestors in the pleistocene right his view as just to say it very briefly which i think you, is consistent with evolutionary psychology is that the ability to internalize norms the disposition to want to punish norm violators and to feel shame or guilt for violating norms that that's that evolved but then what the content of the norms... Right. is something that is largely determined by environmental and cultural factors but he's still at the he still ha, he still does feel required to give some explanation as to the function of this particular norm it involves the environment and the and, and a more recent sort of cultural development within the group rather than the, the caricature of the evolutionary psychologists who say well because in the pleistocene
0: right right the hunter gathered. Others, yeah. you know had to like right. reject whatever He's norm. looking
1: at uh, the specific yeah, culture violators. the ecology of that culture and then and much more recent history as right. a way of so, describing it.
0: So in that sense there's another sense in which it doesn't it doesn't it's really just a sort of sociological term that somebody would be more likely to be called an evolutionary psychologist if they thought that the specific content of norms was selected for or uh, rather than a more general norm ac- acquiring mechanism. Yeah. And so it's not as if people who believe that a general learning mechanism explains most of human mental life uh, are rejecting evolutionary psychology and in many ways they can offer a a sensical account of why natural selection would favor a general learning mechanism instead of a bunch of smaller specific mechanisms and maybe we want to move on yeah let's uh, move on so so
1: let's talk briefly about the just so story Objection. Because this is interesting from a philosophy of science kind of perspective. Certainly, this is with Stephen Jay Gould's hobby horse to call evolutionary psychology and sociobiology just so stories because they take this disposition, say, men. Uh, being attracted to younger women, and then they just come up with a story of why that would have been adaptive, and then that's the explanation. And there's no way to test if that's why men are attracted to younger women. This is what he would claim. It's a just-so story. It's certainly possible, but there's no experiment that you can run because we can't go back in time you know there's all these other possible explanations that are not being ruled out
0: right so what's to stop you from just for every observed uh, human behavior um, that you could spin a story you could spin a
1: story that's roughly consistent with what we know about people in in the Pleistocene
0: Right. There are two. There are a couple of things that really annoy me about this. One is how you know how easily it comes out of people's mouth yeah. without really thinking. Like there is one sense in which, like, you could accuse large swaths of psychology, evolutionary or not, as sort of spinning post hoc or accounts you know, of mechanism. Right. Right. So if all you're saying is that to be a good scientist, you have to, you ought to have a good sort of a priori uh, hypothesis and not simply find post hoc explanations for for whatever it is that you observe sure Right? But it's certainly certainly not something specific to evolutionary psychology. The other is that like there well, but they, then
1: let's before we totally dismiss this objection,
0: let's see if there might be something
1: different about evolutionary psychology that might make it more prone to spinning just so stories. And the things that I can think of are the fact that it appeals to a period that we know very little about. Right, and that's actually where I, yeah, what I was about to okay, say next. Yeah. Right. So that, that
0: that in fact, like I think that there is it's coupled with this view that like, well, since you can't can't. can't acquire evidence from you know evolutionary time that that you are you can never be falsified right right and uh let's just say like stupid people couple this with some sort of critique of evolution not being able to be falsified but that's like, let's dismiss that. Like, yeah,
1: let's, our listeners are smart people. Yeah, they're yeah.
0: not trying to prove or disprove whether or not evolution is. True.
1: This is just a is. lapse in ju- their judgment that they're listening to the podcast, but but they're <laughs> exactly. otherwise very smart.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, this, or or they listen to this podcast to to realize how how much smarter they are. Uh, <laughs> right. It kind of gives them a, a lift. Um, the claim has to be something like, "Well, there is that that." A lack of access to that time period means that you can't generate a clean, specific hypothesis. Somehow, you could generate any hypothesis that would be consistent with this,
1: right? And that that, no, that won't be able to be falsified,
0: right? Well, and I think this is this is just a crock. I mean, to the extent that you could do this with any mechanism, that just means that you have like a poor understanding or a bad theory or a, a poor understanding of of how natural selection works. Like natural selection. Ought not to be able to generate any prediction.
1: Let's take a concrete case. Make this a little more clear. It's a famous example. I, I don't remember the researchers. I'm sure David Buss was involved, but the the hip to waist ratio. The men preferring a certain hip to waist ratio. Now, there's two ways of doing that experiment, right? There's just observing, like collecting data about men's preferences. And finding that there is this ratio and then exp- and then offering the explanation in evolutionary terms, well, this was uh, people who had the most offspring because it was easiest for them to have kids with and lowest infant mortality rate. So you- if you did it that way, then the just story accusation makes sense. But if you generate the prediction first, right, if you right. analyze and you have some sort of evidence as to what kind of hip-to-waist ratio – Um, actually you ought to see see, and then go out and see if you find it, then that just seems as legitimate as any kind of experiment.
0: And yeah, well, this is why a a premium is placed on on um, aspects of natural selection that can generate hypotheses that are non-obvious. So this is why it turns out, even though sexual selection theory might actually in terms of just the general explanatory power of all human psychology might it might be only a a very small piece of it it is uh, considered to be a very fruitful theory because it generates some very testable hypotheses that would not have been predicted until we had an understanding of sexual selection theory so so to generate a prediction that nobody would have generated without an appeal to sexual selection and then demonstrate that there is evidence right. for it is I I think this one, you know, one of this considered a gold standard of an evolutionary account, um, gen- generating prediction that nobody would have made otherwise. But, but to go to your first example, it could be that there is this sort of post hoc, like spinning of, of a finding to make it consistent with evolutionary terms. <laughs> but sometimes It's not that bad to do that, right? You might say, like, look, we found this interesting thing. Here's a way in which it could have been selected for.
1: As long as you then do a subsequent experiment that says, if I'm right about that explanation, then you should also see this. And he gives a nice example of this. So you find this universal feature that men look more attractive when they're looking down rather than looking up. And he gives the evolutionary explanation for that, that it would have been valuable for bipeds. And then... One prediction that would generate is that for primates who aren't bipeds, they won't share the same the same sort of bias.
0: Now, and the thing is, that you can in in many cases, like there is no guarantee that uh, this the studies were done properly. That like this, in fact, is a prediction that ought to be made. Right, right. Um, There are all kinds of sort of points of failure, but it it's not. A necessary feature of right. an evolutionary explanation. This would be true. Right. This would be true of a number of explanations you might right. generate, right. and and so so you know. I think this is just how science works. Like if I if I propose this evolutionary account, say I've discussed right, and I say well. Uh, I think that the reason that people are are disgusted by this is because, as you right. Ellen and and, and I and other many others have argued, because uh, disgust is probably this a uh, uh, feature of human psychology that was selected for because it kept us free from disease. If you disagree, you might say, well, look, I think that if if your account is right, then we would expect that. Uh, universally, everybody's disgusted by X, and so then you go and you do, you know, right. you you collect the data and you show me that it's not true. Then the burden is switched back to me. Yeah, um, but that's and that's. But
1: right. but it can be a burden shifting thing too. The question is, are are people required to falsify it, or are you prov- are you expected to provide positive evidence beyond it could be true?
0: And this is what you know. This is some people have a like a sort of belief that. Whenever you offer uh, an explanation that appeals to this sort of human universal, naturally selected, right. uh, that the burden is on you to offer evidence. And some people think like it's so obvious that evolution is true. The burden is on you to show that it wasn't selected for. And I, I have no dog in that fight other than to say that like the burden is on everybody. And that's just how science progresses, that people who have competing explanations, so long as they're actually competing, they should go collect data and see whether or not they can generate a prediction. So you have be, a kind of like, we are the world. <laughs> no, like actually this would lead to, leads. I'm comfortable with a, quite an adversarial approach about this, right? So, so this has happened uh, in another domain. It's sexual jealousy, right? So this is uh, uh, some of the most controversial yet most popular uh, Research in evolutionary psychology that that shows that out of sexual selection theory, I guess, the prediction is that men ought to be more sexually jealous because of the mechanisms that about paternity, uncertainty, and all these things. And that – so that sexual infidelity ought to be more distressing to males.
1: More distressing like if if your wife – or mate actually has sex with somebody. Right,
0: Right. so meaningless sex. You know, there's often asked, like, imagine that your wife had a one-night stand with another man, um, but then never talked to him again, or whatever. Now, would you prefer that, or would you prefer a non-sexual, but sort of deeply emotional affair, where she was, like, spending all her time, like, and, you know... They were
1: such good friends. They were going to see movies together. (laughs)
0: Exactly, right.
1: but But she is just not attracted to him, and they're not fucking.
0: Right, so now you give people sort of those two options, and you say which one is worse, and the prediction is you know that men should find the sexual infidelity worse than the emotional, and women should find the opposite and Sure enough, David Buss and a bunch of others
1: and the reasoning behind that is it it's disastrous for your yeah. genes your right? genes are screwed if, right it's- if you're raising a child that's not your own right uh, Cuckolded. and you know it generates all these other predictions about how. In-law, parents of the mother should be more inclined to say that the child looks like the father and stuff right. like that because it's really important for mammals and primates to be sure that the, that they're devoting their caring resources to their own offspring. To their genes, right? Yeah. So,
0: so, right, like maternal uncles should be more more doting right like devote more of their resources than paternal uncles and there is some evidence that this is true so so uh so now if suppose that you disagree with this this explanation for the findings and you say as some people have said like this is just sexual jealousy is one of those things that is just like a product of uh, an insidious product of cultures across the world yeah um and here is what i think uh as, as these researchers might say, if you want to make an evolutionary claim, uh, part of what comes along with that claim is this sort of rigidity in response, right? That is that you should be able to see this kind of response across a variety of situations and a number of ways in which you ask the question. Yeah. And so some researchers have have just simply demonstrated that if you don't ask in a dichotomous fashion, right, if you don't say which is worse, if you just ask... On, say, a seven-point scale, how bad is sexual infidelity and how bad is emotional infidelity that both men and women think they're both bad and you don't see any differences and right. so their argument is well see it's not evolutionary because you wouldn't expect that a small change in the methodology right. would, would not right so now whether or not that is evidence that disproves it or like that's up yeah. for debate
1: this is an, that's an empirical question an interesting mm-hmm. one but often the debate is not pitched at that reasonable Oh, further analysis is required to determine which of these Two hypotheses
0: <laughs> right people, it gets very emotional it gets emotional, and this is this is almost a part that just I hate talking about because there are good arguments on both sides about about this right so but here 's one of the the huge side effects of relying on sexual selection theories is that like you end up talking about uh, sex differences in in a way that makes people I think that what you're doing is justifying some pretty fucked up male responses.
1: Right. right. So this would be justifying male promiscuity. Male
0: and, promiscuity and, and, and control and, of female sexuality, all this stuff.
1: And also, So here are the two assumptions that I think make this emotionally heated. Both assumptions are, are false. The assumption is that if you give this evolutionary explanation, the behavior in question is A, more justified than if you gave a different – kind of explanation and be less flexible. Right. Um, and, you know, those two are related. Maybe part of the reason it might be more justified is because it's a harder disposition to change. But they're two
0: independent assumptions. And there's a Kantian truth that ought implies can. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, can't. Right. Right. If you can't, right. If you can't, I think there is this sort of lay view yeah. that if you can't change it, then how could you possibly how be responsible? Be right. How could it yeah. be responsible? How could
1: you be obligated not to do right. it? Right. So therefore, so, yeah. let
0: me, like, fuck a bunch of, like.
1: Given that the justification often depend, let's talk
0: about the first
1: assumption that because something has an evolutionary explanation it's less flexible because that's just not only is it I think a false assumption it's true in some cases false in other cases but it's so widespread now like it's in the genes so it's not your fault or you know this is evolved so it's not your fault um, because you can't it's you, you can't change it and what's so bizarre is that people used to do this very same thing about cultural explanations right. or Environment, conditioning, environmental, environmental right. conditioning explanations with Skinner. They had the exact same problems, except this time it was, oh, well, if we're conditioned to do it and it's environmental and it's just part of, you know. And so there's something just off the bat weird about that assumption that if it's, if you can give a biological explanation for it, evolutionary explanation, harder for individuals to resist the disposition,
0: right? And like pretty much you've exhausted all possible explanations if you say that human behavior is a product of uh, genes and environment. There's very little left to explain human behavior, and the noumenal uh, self, on your pe- the numeral, on your right. Account, so that is like yeah, yeah. so. So people are sort of betraying some of these these commitments or these lay, lay beliefs in in some sort of But but even if you do that, it's weird
1: that it it can cash out both ways.
0: Exactly, right? Like, okay, yeah, okay, so it's not—you're not depressed because— you were born that way you're depressed because you were raised that way right. like you can't go you can't go back and change your shitty childhood either yeah. right uh so so it's not clear which way it cuts i guess it's something like this like the metaphor for uh, for sort of biological processes that we might consider to be you know evolved is is something like you know like look i have digestion in a circulatory system and i have all of this like these other physiological activities i can't Control them. Um, so if you're telling me that my my mind is organized by these like speci- specifically adaptive modules, um, then I can't I can't control that either. And it's just like, well, no. The whole point is that like that's a different kind of thing,
1: right? Like, right. It's just that's yeah. true for some, like your digestive system, um, right. but as. Pinker points out, not your eyesight. Right, right, not your eyesight. Like, you can
0: be born with shitty eyes, and, like, it's really easy to get LASIK or get glasses. Right. And some shit is just, like, completely due to, like, environmental circumstances, and you have absolutely no control. There's nothing you can do. Let me—actually, because I was reading—doing this
1: uh, grad seminar on honor, and we were talking about honor killings. There's this passage by a cousin who killed— Uh, his, His cousin, who he loved, because she had been kidnapped and raped, you know, one of these horrific stories relevant to this, he's he's explaining it and he's explaining how it broke his heart to do it. And he's saying and he's and he's and he's just lamenting the double standard of it. So here's what he says, It's like the reverse
0: Huck Finn. (laughs) <laughs> yeah right exactly
1: like he he know, he's like he's he, this is what he says he says when a man is released, we slaughter sheep and we make a party when a when a woman is released, and the the thing is we kill her and he, and yeah. he says this is it's a disgrace, but then he says, how can it change it's a matter of generations it's custom and tradition it can't change it's custom and tradition it can't right. change so here he's taking that fatalistic Approach to the problem, but certainly not from any commitment to an evolutionary explanation. It's all about the fact that this is their custom and this is their tradition, that you can't get out of it.
0: Right. It's just to emphasize now, you get to this problem like, well, okay, whose job is it now to say, uh, to offer the caveat that whenever you're offering these explanations, what you're not endorsing is either an inflexibility. Um, because you said it was biological or which is following from all this or and you're not offering a a justification on the one hand i want to say well whenever you write about something that's fucked up like honor killings or rape or whatever it is that 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 you might offer an explanation for then maybe just as a good scientist like you should clarify what you don't mean right but on the other hand that's not necessarily the job of the scientist it's dangerous territory right and and Pinker in his book The Blank Slate is, you know goes he tries to correct for all this stuff he's saying like look this is there's a, r- a ridiculous sort of political pressure to to paint this view of human nature that m- probably isn't right and and it's almost like he's saying like look it's not not it's your fault for misunderstanding what we're saying when we say that that a behavior was evolved but on the other hand, you have these like guys who a, a couple of years, a few years ago now, wrote a book on rape, and they argued that rape was something that could have been. It's called a natural history of rape, and right. the argument here was that it could have been rape. Rape is there's a plausible a natural selection account for why a certain percentage of the population might engage in rape. It actually is likely to advance their genes or whatever. Now, you you know. Whatever, Whether or not that's true from an evolutionary account, I guess, is up for debate. But man, right? Like, like it's, so people just, uh, it's, it's so fraught. It's so Like people, as- people assumed wrongly that they were saying, like, well, men can't control rape, so chill out. Like, you know, it's, it's evolution. Like, they can't help it. Um, so whose job is it to—and in the book, they actually go out of the way to say, well, look, don't commit the naturalistic fallacy. Right. But people still are like, no, that's not enough. But again, there are the
1: facts that a certain percentage of people are raped. All they're doing is offering one explanation. If their explanation is false, then... Why is the other explanation going to be more comforting? Like why (laughs) is – and I think honestly in this again, it's like the explanation they want is that these men are just evil rapists. Right. And And there's no further explanation beyond that or
0: something like that. Right. And this is where I think it's really important to get back to our first point about levels of analysis. Like I think it's perfectly consistent to say – uh, some people are dicks and come up with a theory of why they're dicks right right and that theory of why they're dicks whether it's because of the way they were raised or because of you know some crazy mutation or whatever like is not is it's neither here nor there when it comes to say telling men not to be dicks there
1: but- is some reason why colin mcginn the <laughs> <laughs> Colin McGinn, right? I mean, like the,
0: yes, yes. Now we uh, are
1: not uh, accusing Colin McGinn of rape. We th- are no, just, no, just, in fact, just... I, this will be cut from. The
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so, uh, and this gets to the, our old friend, probably as, as the philosopher and psychologist that we are, our old friend of people's fears about punishment and blame. Right. Like they people have this just very lay lay view that in order to be blamed and punished, you have to have a kind of freedom that I'm not willing to spell out. But like I know I know it when I see it. And that's not it. Right. Like it's not like you've just given me is the fear that to explain is to forgive. But like at the end of the day, psychologists are looking for an explanation for all of human behavior. Um,
1: But you know here, okay. So I said before that the explanation that they want is that the men are just evil rapists. But actually, now that I think about it, that's not true. The explanation that they want is that this is, and I don't know why this makes it better, but maybe maybe there's one reason why is that it's part of like a rape culture. Right. right. That's been developed. But the idea is if that's the explanation, then we can work to change it. Like we can't right. change people's DNA, but we can work uh, right. to but change, we can change it. the environment. But that but again, it i it that's a on a subtler assumption, assumption yeah. but it's a subtler misconception. But it's the misconception that uh, it's easier to change cultural forces and traditions than it is to just deal with these disp- uh, ev- biological desp- dispositions through the various means that we have to to address right.
0: it like suppose that suppose that it turns out that men raping uh was it, it turns out that it's a virus right? right like all men who are rapists are actually men who were exposed at a young age to this particular virus now i might not uh, that might not be the explanation that I want to believe, but, like, if it yields a way to stop them from raping by, like, right. giving them a vaccine, yeah. then, like, fuck it. I'm all for it. The, uh, more, you, the more you know about the actual
1: f- source of the issue, the better chance you have of, act- of addressing it
0: effectively. Right. And here's, here's where it just it becomes so sticky because <laughs> I don't believe oh, <laughs> sorry. But here is why—where where I'm sympathetic to some of the criticisms. It's not obvious to me— that it's it's unfair to call some of the people who are arguing for these things on one side like assholes who want to justify their behavior. It's not necessarily right. true, no. um, but it might, it might as In a matter some of fact, cases be true. It might In some cases, it might be true. like, suppose that I actually do endorse this view that if it's naturally selected, like, that it's not right. my fault, and then I go around offering an evolutionary explanation for whatever, being an asshole. It could very well be that my motivation... Is to to show that it was a product of evolution is is motivated like it's it's a result of that motivation. That same misconception. You're making the
1: same misconception.
0: Yeah, and that's why it's so hard to get fucking clean scientific evidence either way about something. And also, it's like
1: you're you're almost making a political statement by what you decide to Mm -hmm. to to do an experiment on at all. So, like, he gives the example of. A study that I guess shows that women's voting preferences might change uh, during their menstrual cycle. Now, look – that, uh, that's an interesting and empirical question, whether that's true or not. Like, they, you know, given how voting preferences, how, you know, all the different things that might affect it, maybe that would be one of them. But just choosing, choosing to devote your resources and your resor- your research time to that has a sort of political tinge to it. And it's going to – and I think part of what people are responding to, especially when these things are all bullshit, is you've chosen something flagrantly just controversial. Almost as a way of calling attention to yourself and and, and that you know will be subject right. to this misconception uh, once it 's out there, why are you doing that? right but yeah, I just want to give credit to Christine Harris, who I guess responded to that there 's a very funny title that she that she gives <laughs> that is quoted in this article: "Women can keep the vote. <laughs> Uh, no evidence that hormonal changes during the menstrual cycle impact political and religious beliefs which is fair enough right he he kind of says this is political and it shows how hypersensitive people are but if you're gonna do that experiment in the first place then don't complain when the responses are at that same level too of like deliberately provocative
0: and you know there's this way in which like uh as as burke points out it it would be weird if if things like hormones didn't affect judgment across the board um but uh there is this there is this way in which it's so clear that uh, the the sort of motivated reading of of this work either for or against because and that's and that's and, and here, sort of as as like a purist about science, like I want to say, well, like some people might have a genuine desire to answer some of these questions, but you have to go into it knowing you got to be a pretty fucking careful and sober researcher, knowing that if you go into studying something like that, the yeah. burden is ought to be on you to to explain exactly what it is you're doing and why. You know. And why. So, yeah. Yeah, so right. for instance, like differences in IQ across across racial groups. Like, that's what I've always thought. Like, well, why are you asking the question to begin with? And and that's not to say that I would reject an answer here or there. It's just, it's probably something I'm not going to study because, right. uh, you know, even exactly. if I end up finding evidence that's, like, the most politically favorable. When you look at people who, who do animal work, so there's a, a researcher in my department, Elizabeth atkins regan who does – who studies the – Neuropeptides involved in the social behavior of birds. She can make sort of these uh, pair bonding birds by exposing them to certain neuropeptides when they're in the egg. She can make them prefer same sex pairing. Right. Right. Um, Now it's it's crazy that she can do that. Right. She can essentially make turn the the sexual or the pair bonding preferences of a bird in utero by exposing them. Um, But. Nobody bothers to, like, if, if you made any claims about sort of the, the hormonal causes of homosexuality in human beings, all of a sudden you're opening up. And, and not that birds and human brains are the same, but imagine that it was the same exact mechanism in mammals. And you made the same claim about rats or hamsters, and you make them about, right, about humans you're just opening up all kinds of criticism. So my advice is if you're going to study anything like sexuality or violence or aggression or intelligence and and give evolutionary explanations, just study it in animals and never...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or just be just know that you're going to get criticized both fairly and unfairly and 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 you do have some obligation to explain why you've chosen this particular thing to study and what it means and what it doesn't mean because there are there's a shock jock contingent of evolutionary psychologists like you know his name the guy on psychology today who got fired from psychology oh yeah
0: satoshi kanazawa right
1: everything he reported on was about designed to generate controversy and get those hits on
0: psychology today
1: he finally got (laughs) canned for saying why here's why black women are less attractive than
0: right with uh, the most horrible of like uh, evidence yeah but as you said like to get fired from essentially a volunteer job is hilarious Uh, it
1: is yeah right uh i think he's uh he he's at one end of the extreme but there certainly are evolutionary psychologists Whether they're motivated by a desire to gain notoriety or just sometimes anger. Like you get the sense that a lot of – that some evolutionary psychologists are just so angry at how they're being treated that they're like deliberately provoking more controversy.
0: Yes. And – and though like the realization that that scientists can be petty and vindictive is is one is one that we're to have right it's yeah. not it's not right It just though it is like i guess to 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 finish my sentiments about this like all of this stuff is a huge barrier to to getting at the correct, like the accuracy right. in science. And it sucks that it is the case, but uh, we have to remember to like, we're also living in this sort of soundbite world. You can publish the most nuanced findings and if the press release really says the the sort of least nuanced, most controversial and perhaps completely incorrect so i've seen press releases or article write-ups that actually say the opposite of what the article said right, right? like so that's just something that you have like that's just the price that you're going to pay like right. nobody nobody and cares about n- the nuance in your like you know discussion section and there's nothing we can do about that that's just, That's only going to get
1: worse. That's just... Yes. <laughs> this is right now the best it's ever going to be.
0: Yeah, and I blame evolution for I, making us into people that do this. So you just have to adjust
1: On that note, um, we hope we've given at least a taste of, to our hardcore evolutionary psychologist listeners of what they wanted. Yeah, we'll try to have a guest on the show that... Self identifies in a in a somewhat combative bunker. Right, let's get the
0: most combative, like somebody who, who would actually be pissed off at us for our nuanced, clear thinking on the matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll pick
1: and we'll try to pick a topic. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess we have Josh, Josh Green, probably on the next episode. So yeah, is yeah, he so we,
0: we might have a little uh, lag between evolutionary psychology part one and yeah. part two. Thank you, and see you next time. a very
1: good man good man they think deep thoughts and with no more brains than you have pay no attention to that man anybody can have a brain you're a very bad man i'm a very good man just a very bad wizard